0: Well, this morning, we are continuing our series that Pastor Luke kicked off for us on New Year's Day a week ago. And he preached a message called The Highest Authority. If you did not get a chance to uh, watch that message or listen to it, I encourage you, please go online this week and watch that message. It was a wonderful way to kick off this new year. There is no better way to kick off the new year than to lay the right foundation. And that's why we're spending the entire month of January looking at, well, basically the doctrine of God's Word. You see, because if we want to honor God, and I know we all do, then there must be some standard. There must be something that we can go to that gives us an understanding of what it means to honor God. You see, It can't be a free-for-all. We just can't do what we think we ought to do or what we think is best. There's got to be some standard. And for the follower of Jesus Christ, the standard is God's Word. It's the only lasting foundation for growth. So this morning's message is titled, Reliable and True. Reliable and True. This past week, I decided to look up the definition of reliable. So I went to dictionary.com. And the definition of reliable is this. Consistently good in quality or performance. Able to be trusted. So to be reliable is to be consistently good in quality or performance. In other words, you're able to be trusted. We like Reliable things, don't we? I do. I like good things, and I like it when things work well and when they work consistently. I like it when things can be counted on. Do you know what's reliable? I'm going to show you what's reliable. Take a look. This (laughs) is reliable. In and out is reliable. Right there, it says it quality. Quality you can taste. Right there in its motto. It is reliable. You see, no matter which in and out I visit, it's always consistent. It's always good. It's always the same. My double-double animal is always perfect. No matter which in and out I visit, I'm hungry. Speaking, Speaking of reliable... Every year, Consumer Reports publishes its list of the top five most reliable car brands. And so I thought, hmm, hamburgers and reliability, that's one thing. But when we talk about reliable and cars, that's a whole different level, right? Because when it comes to automobiles, you want the peace of mind. That when you start the engine, that it's going to start. That you don't have to pray that it starts that morning. You want the peace of mind of knowing that every single day when you get into your car, it's going to get you from point A to point B without worry. The worst thing is to fear that your car will stall on the freeway. I'm sure it's happened to some. It's happened to me. It's a scary thought. So we want the peace of mind in knowing that our cars will be counted upon. So just for fun, I thought I'd share with you Consumer Reports' top five most reliable cars of 2022. Now, if your car company did not make this top five list, don't get upset at me, all right? I'm just the messenger, okay? I don't wanna hear any complaints or don't send me any emails, okay? I'm just reporting. From what Consumer Reports says. And so they gave you the top five most reliable car brands of 2022. And by the way, there are many different reports out there, right? Many different uh, articles like this top five, top 10, t- top 20. If your car isn't on this list, maybe it's on another list, all right? But here it is the top five. We'll start with five, we'll count our way down. The fifth most reliable car brand in 2022 was Honda. Now, some of you are like, wait a minute, they should be higher than that. Well, I think they fell a few slots, but they're still in the top five, all right? The fourth most reliable car brand of 2022 was Mazda. My son drives a Mazda. Yes, top five. The third most reliable car brand of 2022, according to Consumer Reports, BMW. All right, so all you BMW owners, yes, you climbed several slots in 2022. The second most reliable car brand of 2022 was Lexus. All right, so all you Lexus owners, big smiles on your faces. And the number one most reliable car brand of 2022, according to consumer reports, was Toyota. Yes, Toyota. Yes. Can I hear an amen? Yes, yes, yes. I drive a Toyota Highlander. Yes, Toyota. All this to say, reliability is important, okay? Now, I did think about possibly doing the top five list of most unreliable cars, (laughs) but I did not want to depress any of you. So you can come see me afterwards for that one. Reliability is important. We like it when things are consistently good. We like quality. We like good performance. We like things that can be trusted. We like people who can be trusted. Thankfully, we worship a trustworthy God, and thankfully, he's revealed himself in ways that we can get to know him and to understand who he is. And he's done that in two ways, and we're to look at those two ways throughout this morning. God is a trustworthy God, and he's revealed himself in two ways so that we can get to know him better. He's revealed himself through general revelation and through special revelation. General revelation and special revelation. We're going to start this morning with general revelation. And here's the definition of general revelation. Truths that can be known about God through nature. That's general revelation, truths that can be known about God through revelation. The first time I visited the Grand Canyon, I said to myself, there is a God. Now, I believed in God before I went to the Grand Canyon. I knew God personally, but I have to admit, when I first looked over the South Rim, I just uttered those words, there is a God. God. That was another way of saying, how could anybody say that there is no God? How can somebody look at the Grand Canyon and say, there is no God? Whenever our family drives along the coast, we drive through Big Sur, and I see the majesty of the ocean and the cliffs, I say, there is a God. When I was a freshman at UCLA, I took a class called Astronomy 3. And I'd go to lectures with 400 other students in this massive lecture hall. And one particular class, I went, I listened to the professor, and he talked about the vastness of our universe. And he taught about the billions upon billions billions of stars in our galaxy, in just the Milky Way galaxy alone. And I was just really in awe and after the lecture I was so compelled I decided to make an appointment to go visit my professor. I was a freshman in college, very green and just learning so much and so I made the appointment. I went to his office and I sat across from his desk and I I nervously asked him, professor, the other day you taught us about the billions of stars in our galaxy. And I was so nervous. And then I said, Professor, can you, as a scientist, believe that there is a supreme being who ordered all those stars? You see, Professor, because I'm a Christian, and that's what I believe. I was so nervous. And uh, I wasn't sure what he was going to say. But I'll never forget what he said. He paused and he looked at me, this naive little freshman, probably, but he was so gracious and he said, yes, it's possible. And that stayed with me all these years. Whether he believed that or not, but he was so gracious in his response to me. He looked at me, a freshman, He said, Yes, that's possible. I want you to turn to Psalm 19. And I want to look at a passage starting in verse 1, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 19. And this passage talks about all those stars in the universe. The psalmist writes in Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens... To the ends of the world. In other words, the wonder of creation speaks to the existence of an awesome creator. And there's no other word but to say, He's awesome. We see His glory, His power by observing the universe. Now turn to the New Testament book of Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 20. We'll see another passage that speaks about this general revelation. Remember, general revelation is truths about God that can be seen in nature. Revelation chapter 1. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So, when we think of God's general revelation, we can look at it this way. His revelation is to all people at all times and in all places. That's God's general revelation. It's His revelation to all people at all times and in all places. We have no excuse. There's a reason why hundreds of millions of people visit our national parks every year. It's just that some of them who visit those parks, they just need to get to know the creator of those parks. And that is where special revelation enters the picture. You see, general revelation is good. When we look at general revelation, it tells us, you know what, you have no excuse. There is a supreme being, the creator. And yet, there's a void in general revelation. And that's where special revelation comes into The picture. Here's a definition of special revelation. Supernatural ways God has chosen to reveal Himself. Supernatural ways God has chosen to reveal Himself. So throughout history, God has revealed Himself in special supernatural ways, which includes, at times, dreams and visions. And it includes the written word, and most importantly, the person of Jesus Christ. So special revelation includes dreams and visions, the written word, and most importantly, Jesus Christ. So if you look throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, you'll see people receiving dreams and visions from God, revealing his will, Now, one of the challenging aspects about dreams and visions is that sometimes dreams and visions are misinterpreted. So can you imagine if God only revealed himself through dreams and visions throughout history— it would be kind of chaotic, wouldn't it? Let's say if you received a dream and you received a vision and you received an intuition and then we all came together and we shared all of our different intuitions and dreams and visions. Whose standard would we use? It would be chaotic if we were only given revelation by dreams and visions and those became the standard. Who's to say who's is right or wrong. Sometimes it can be misinterpreted. That's why we need the written word as the measuring stick. The written word becomes a standard. And so today, if you're given a dream or a vision or an intuition, you go back to the word of God, the written word, and you measure it against the written word of God. And that's why... Oral tradition, as important as oral tradition is to every culture, it is not enough. Now, when we say oral tradition, we're including things such as stories and poems and proverbs and songs that are passed down from generation to generation. Every culture has oral tradition, and those are important aspects of every culture. But did you know that oral tradition, it can change From generation to generation stories have a tendency to change from generation to generation are you familiar with the old uh, children's game called telephone and there are various names for this game but the idea is this You, you put a group of kids into a circle and the teacher whispers a phrase to the first child and then that child's job is to whisper that same phrase with those exact words to the next child And sure enough, by the time the story reaches the last child, it's a completely different story. Completely different words are used. But not only do children have a tendency to forget stories, we as adults, right, let's face it, sometimes we can't even remember what we heard five minutes ago. Have you ever met somebody, that person gives you his or her name? And then not a minute later, you can't remember the name. And so that person will forever be known as, hey, brother. (laughs) Hey, sister. Hey, friend. Some people can't even remember what they themselves said a minute ago. That's why oral tradition, as great as it is, as important as it is, it cannot stand alone. It does not stand the test of time. Thankfully, God has revealed Himself through the written word. I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. Second Timothy 3, 16, the Apostle Paul is writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. Timothy is a spiritual leader, the pastor at the church of Ephesus. He has a, an important role as a leader of this church. And so Paul has very important advice for Timothy to pass on to others. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. The 66 books that make up the Bible... 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. They are not merely books written by human authors giving us their personal opinions and their own biased advice about life. That is why when you search your Bibles, you will never find the books of first and second opinions. So don't look for first or second opinions. You won't find those books on your Bible. The Holy Spirit directed the authors to communicate the very breath of God. All scripture is God breathed. It is inspired. Yes, the Holy Spirit used the author's personalities. Yes, the Holy Spirit used the author's writing styles. But every word is God-breathed. Now, I imagine that every follower of Christ would like to know God's will and to ultimately do God's will. We don't always get it right, but we desire to know God's will and to do God's will. And in order to do the will of God, we need to know the will of God. And in order to know the will of God, we need the word of God to come into us. And the good news is this. The good news is that the Bible, God's Word, is accessible to us now more than ever in the history of the world. Did you know that? Today, January 8th, 2023, you and I have accessibility to the Bible in ways that people before us did not. The Bible has been translated into 700 languages, the New Testament alone in 1,500 languages. We have paper Bibles. We have digital Bibles. We have uh, online Bibles. We have commentaries of the Bible that we can read on our phones. You know what I love is, once upon a time, when I was in seminary many, 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 many years ago, so when I was in graduate school studying to become a pastor, back then we used to have to carry around these heavy thick commentary books. We spend hundreds of dollars on commentary sets to fill our bookshelves. Today, with a click of a button, I can download an entire set and read it on my phone. I love it. There's no better time than now to get into the Word of God. That is why We're opening this year with this series. And as I think about the Word of God, I can't help but appreciate those who went before us, who made it possible for us to study God's Word. And I'm talking right now about the scribes of old, scribes who painstakingly made copies of biblical manuscripts by hand. And they had to make copies by hand because, well, these manuscripts, they were written on papyrus. Are you familiar with papyrus? Papyrus comes from a water plant in Egypt. And the very nature of papyrus is this. Over time, it becomes brittle. And it starts to kind of weather. So if you don't have copies of papyrus, Eventually, you'll have nothing. So God used scribes of old to copy copies of copies. I take comfort in knowing that we have so many copies. In fact, the Bible doesn't suffer from not enough information. The Bible, in some ways, it has so many copies. And so we have all those at our fingertips. As I think about the scribes of old, life would have been easier for them if they had a uh, photocopier. <laughs> but they didn't. Life would have been easier if they had PDFs and just cut and paste. That would have been great. But no, every time they copied a manuscript for preservation, They copied it by hand. But here's one thing that I'm encouraged by. If I think about scribes of old, their penmanship was much better than at least mine is today. You see, the earliest Jewish scribes had to have the best penmanship. Now I want to take a moment to share some fascinating facts about what a scribe went through just to handwrite a copy of a manuscript. Every time a scribe sat down, he would take a scroll and start writing, and every column of that scroll had to be perfectly aligned. Now, I, who loves order and straight lines, I could appreciate that. But check this out every space between each consonant had to be the width of a thread. No more or no less. They'd write a consonant, move the thread. Write a consonant, move the thread. And did you know that the scribe, before he sat down to write the manuscript, he had to be dressed in the appropriate attire, his full scribal outfit. In other words, no PJs. He just couldn't get up and roll out of bed and just start working. And this part, I think, is just really fascinating. The scribe would have to use a specially designed ink. And not only that, Every time the scribe was about to write the sacred name of God, he would have to change out that quill for a fresh quill designated only for the sacred name of God. Isn't that awesome? That they would take that much care in writing down the word of God The Word of God deserves that much attention to detail. This past Thursday, we held Joanne's dad's funeral. When our children were much younger, one year for each of their birthdays, uh, their grandparents, Joanne's mom and dad, presented each of them with a gift for their birthdays. And the gift for their birthdays that year was a notebook. And inside the notebook was the entire book of Proverbs, all thirty-one chapters, handwritten. And so Joanne's mom handwrote Proverbs 30. I'm sorry, Proverbs 1 through 31. Joanne's dad wrote Proverbs 1 through 31, all by hand for each. Of our kids. Take a look at a page of each of these notebooks that I took a picture of. So, from Grandma to Andrew on his birthday in 2009. Look at that writing from Grandpa to Amanda on her birthday in 2009. Now, I examined each notebook, and I could not find a mistake in 31 chapters. When you write things by hand, when you make a mistake, you can't just keep going. If you want it so neat and perfect, you start over again. I didn't see a single whiteout neither notebook. So this past week, I I enjoyed flipping through these notebooks in light of Joanne's dad's funeral. So why did the Jewish scribes take such great care, painstakingly great care, in recording God's word? The answer is found directly in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And it says this. Here's the answer as to why the scribes took painstakingly great care. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We have the foundational statement of Jewish faith. It's the Shema, S H E M A. This is the Jewish confession of faith, the Shema. God's word was to be passed down from generation to generation. The greatest legacy that you and I can leave to the next generation, whether it's our own children or to those here at our church, the greatest legacy we can pass on is our faith in Christ. That's it. Nothing else matters. Sure, other things are great the only thing that will last is our faith in Christ. That's discipleship at its essence. Our New Year's resolution this year and every year, it should be to become more like Jesus every day. By the way, Maybe already it's January 8th, and maybe you've kind of backslid in your resolutions, okay? So if you've uh, uh, gone back on your diet or if you haven't exercised, that's okay. It's all right. Now, those things are great, but you know, in the end, if your resolutions are only those things, then those things don't last. Our greatest legacy is our faith in Christ. And so we need to be saturated with the Word of God if we want to become more like Jesus. By the way, did you know that Jesus was a great student of God's Word? Now you might be thinking, oh, Tim, come on, he's God. Of course he's, (laughs) he was a great student. But no, actually, yes, he's God. But when he came to earth, he came to earth fully a baby. At that infant stage, he had to learn. So he was fully God, yes, but he came fully man, fully a baby. So the Bible says he grew in stature, and he also grew in wisdom. So he went to school like every other child. He studied like every other student. My guess is he was probably the best student in his class, not because he was God, but because he was committed to the Scriptures, And when you read the four Gospels, what I find so amazing is this. When you read the four Gospels, every time Jesus' words are recorded, one in every ten words, in other words, one-tenth of everything recorded that Jesus said was direct quotes or references to the Old Testament. That's why I encourage you, when you read your New Testament and the Gospels, whenever you come across Jesus' recorded verses, and if there's a uh, footnote, like an A or a B or C, click on it, or look at the bottom of your Bible. And chances are, Jesus is often just quoting from the Old Testament. And nowhere... Is this more powerfully seen than during his temptation? After 40 days and 40 nights of being tempted in the wilderness, he was hungry. Who wouldn't be? So the tempter came to him and said, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, then command these stones to become loaves of bread. I have a question for you, and you can answer. You can respond. If Jesus had wanted to, could he have turned those stones into bread? Yes, absolutely. Because later on in his ministry, he certainly fed thousands of people with just a handful of loaves of bread. So he had the power to change those stones to bread, absolutely, because he's God. And yet, his response in Matthew 4, 4 was this. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In this first temptation, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and the context is this. In Deuteronomy, God allowed Israel to hunger so that he might feed them manna, so that They would trust in him. Now, I don't need to see any hands right here. But maybe some of you have fasted at some point or another. Maybe some of you have participated in a spiritual fast. And maybe even fasting for uh, blood work. But during a fast, when your stomach is really loud, at least for me, here's what I would do. When I would fast and my stomach growled, I would automatically start praying to God. And would say, God, help me through this hunger pain. Help me through this. And so when we hunger, we learn to trust in God. Jesus absolutely could have and had every right to eat bread. But he feasted. On the Word of God. So Satan, the tempter, says, Well, if you are the Son of God, then I want you to throw yourself down from the highest point of the temple in the holy city. And then the tempter quotes from Scripture and says, For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So Satan, the tempter, says, Hey, Jesus, I can quote scripture too. But the tempter takes Psalm 91 out of context. He twists it. So in response, Jesus says in Matthew 4, 7, It is also written, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. There, Jesus is quoting directly from Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. And then finally, the devil takes Jesus to the high mountaintop and shows him all the valley below and all the kingdoms and all the splendor. And he says to Jesus, all this can be yours if you just bow down and worship me. And in Matthew four ten, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This was yet another quote from Deuteronomy. This time from chapter 6, verse 13. Church, if we want to be like Jesus this year, let's saturate ourselves with the word of God. Read it, listen to it, have it in the background, read about it. Let's saturate ourselves with God's word. Not to fill our heads with just knowledge but that it would transform our lives because it's the foundation for becoming more like Jesus he's the ultimate form of special revelation you see general revelation is good but it's not enough we see God's handiwork in nature but he revealed to us about himself through special revelation. Dreams and visions, the written word. But here's the thing about the written word. The written word serves as a vehicle to point us to the most important special revelation. And that's Jesus Christ himself who came to us to identify with us, to die for us, and to provide salvation to us. It's been a busy season, for us all. You know, whenever Christmas and New Year's comes around, this time of the year after New Year's, it's kind of a nice time for us to go, as good as the holidays are, they're just so busy. And for some, they're emotional, and they can be overwhelming. And I confess to you that this holiday season was the most overwhelming, the most difficult for me in all my years. It, w- it was a challenge. It was so hectic and so much on my mind. As I look back on the last three or four weeks, I'm thankful because I got to experience two of the best highlights. And they happened within a span of about three weeks from each other. One happened at a wedding on December 17th, and the other at a funeral on January 5th. So just about three weeks apart from each other, two of the greatest highlights I got to experience during this season. And the highlight was this. I had the privilege of sharing the gospel message at a wedding and at a funeral, two of the most important events that we could ever attend in life, a wedding and a funeral. And I had the privilege of sharing the gospel at each one. This past Thursday, after the funeral, while we were still there at the mortuary, a gentleman came up to me, a big smile on his face. He said, Wow, the gospel is so simple, but so powerful. And, and he looked at me, he said, Jesus came to us To die for us, to offer eternal life to us. He just looked at me and repeated that three times. Jesus came to us to die for us and to offer eternal life to us. He said, so simple, but so powerful. The Bible tells us the gospel of the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. This morning, if you would like to experience God's mercy and grace, I invite you to say a simple yet sincere prayer this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? if you would like to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, I invite you to say this simple yet sincere prayer along with me. God, I want to begin a lasting relationship with you today through your son, Jesus Christ, who came to die on the cross so that I could experience eternal life. Please come into my life today and help me to follow Jesus from this day forward. Father, we thank you that you've revealed yourself to us. You've revealed yourself to us through nature. We marvel at your splendor. but you didn't stop there. You revealed to us and to those throughout history through dreams and visions. You called scribes to pen your word to preserve it for us. And your word points us to Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to live like him, walk like him and be like him every day of 2023. We pray these things in his name. Amen.